So these, uh, today is the second Sunday, or this morning, we're going to continue on with our discussion about Jesus being Lord and King. And as we come towards Christ the King Sunday, which is next Sunday, um, just again reminding ourselves, or remembering, that Jesus is our Savior, the one who has saved us from our sin, but he's also God's King, who, who reigns over all of creation. And I've been thinking about this some, and it's good for us to keep talking about how Jesus is Lord and King of our lives. And I was reading through Matthew this week, and how many, you don't have to show your hands or anything, but how many people got a chance to read through Matthew? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's interesting, I was reading again, listening again for king and themes of king and kingdom, and hearing how many times Matthew refers to king. Actually, 56 times. Uh, he uses the word kingdom. Now, sometimes he's using about, he talks about other kingdoms of the world or things like that, but often he's also talking about God's kingdom. And actually, 22 times he talked about king, uh, sometimes in parables about this good king and what a good king is like, but also talking about king in terms of God's kingdom. It's amazing to see how God is using king and kingdom, how, God is, how Jesus came to bring his kingdom on earth. It's interesting, I just, here's a couple of just passages that I... That I recognize. This, these all come from Matthew. So, this is in Matthew 3, 1 to 2. It says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in chap- or chapter 4, verse 17 of Matthew, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In 4.23, he says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Chapter 9 says, Jesus went through all the towns of the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And 10, chapter 10, 5 and 7 says, These twelve uh, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. And I was just thinking again of how prominent Kingdom and king is a part of Matthew's gospel. Actually, all the gospels, for that matter. But as we were reading through Matthew, just hearing king and kingdom. But it leaves me, I don't know about you, but it leaves me with this haunting question. If Jesus is king, and his kingdom is here, why don't we see more of it? I don't know if you think about that, but I do. I long to see God's kingdom. I long to see more and more of his kingdom. I pray that all the time. Hopefully you hear me praying that all the time. But there's this question, Lord, where is your kingdom? I mean, it doesn't take very long to watch the news and see uh, there's not a lot of kingdom on the news. (laughs) I mean, at least on one level. I mean, I see God's kingdom at work when I really think about it, but there's lots of horrible things that happen in this world around us. And start asking, Lord, where is your kingdom? How do we endure some of the hard things we see? So keep faith in God's kingdom. If Jesus is king, where is his kingdom? Do you ever ask this question? Do you ever wrestle with this question? I hope you do. I think sometimes, though, we, this question pressures us to try and reformulate our idea of kingdom. And we try to reformulate it in something that makes more sense to us. Maybe something like, the kingdom is, is just heaven. And so we reduce the kingdom to heaven. And our faith becomes all about heaven and how do we get to heaven when we die. And there are some Christians who go through faith just trying to keep their head down, trying to get by until they die, and then they get the good stuff of the gospel. And you know, I can understand that. I get it. Trust me, I get it. 
But that's not the, that's not the gospel. At least not the gospel that Jesus talked about. I mean, it's true. We do have heaven when we die. We get to be with our Lord and Savior when we die. And we, there is a, this time when heaven will come down. When this whole place will be made right and good. There's, that is true. And we don't need to be afraid of death. <laughs> that's true also. But Jesus also brought his kingdom now. He started his kingdom now. We heard these texts. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is near. Jesus talked about it a few times with Pharisees. When you see these happenings, you know that the kingdom has come. The kingdom is here. And yet it doesn't look like kingdoms that we're used to. We see it in tiny little places. These beautiful little sparks, or these beautiful little moments of the kingdom breaking through into this world. And sometimes we see long uh, little seeds that were planted thousands of years ago that have grown into large portions of the kingdom. I mean, think about this church here. And this is an example of how seeds of the kingdom have grown. Think about the hundreds of Christians who live in this community. That's news or that's evidence of God's kingdom growing. I think about the billions of Christians around the world. That's evidence of a kingdom that's growing. But it's interesting, this kingdom doesn't look like the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms that we're used to, maybe. Pilate was asking Jesus, and when Jesus was on trial the last day, or the last day before he was crucified, Pilate was asking him, are you a king? And Jesus said, it is as you say. But my kingdom's not like other kingdoms. He said, for if it was, uh, my soldiers or my armies would have been here to protect me and prevented me from being arrested. That I am a king, but it's not like you expect. God's kingdom is not about violence. It's not about oppressing people. It's about grace. It's about God's love. I mean, it's true. There is a time when he comes, when God will come, and there will be judgment. It will be for those who refuse to follow him. But in the meantime, for us, there's this kingdom of grace. This place where we belong, not by what we've done, not by uh, where our family comes from, but by Jesus, by believing into him. But that still leaves us this, this question, what do we do when we feel this discouragement or frustration about God's kingdom? And we want to see more, but we know it's here. Jesus has said so. We see glimpses of it here and there, but we want to see more. How do we endure that? That's why I was interested, I was listening to Jeremiah this week. And this passage that he writes, if it's in your uh, bulletins, um, I'll just go up here and read it. Oh, no. Tracy's gone for one Sunday. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. So, it's um, Jeremiah chapter 23. You can open your Bibles if you want to, to chapter 23. It's verse 1 to 8. Or if you also have, you have this white sheet uh, in your bulletin. Now, just let me give you just a little bit of a background about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet uh, who lived uh, around the 6th century uh, B.C., uh, at the time when the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah was uh, basically uh, imploding as as Babylon and Egypt were, were, and all these major powers of that time were, were going through the land, and they were, each time they had passed through, Jerusalem would get weaker until finally Babylon took over. And 
Um, Josiah was the last um, great king, and his sons came into power, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took his sons and basically just replaced one after the other trying to get the king that he wanted. And Jeremiah lives during this time, and he sees these kings who are basically giving up the people of God, trying to, to, to make their own lives work. And, and eventually Jeremiah sees the destruction of Jerusalem. The temple is all the, the gold, all the things that people had put in the temple to, um, to honor God had all been stolen. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is burning. And yet he still speaks of hope. And so let's listen to Jeremiah. He says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. There's quite a bit happening here. The first thing that I hear God saying, I hear God speaking hope. Hope to Jeremiah. Hope to the people through Jeremiah. That God, even though as bad as things are, even though, and maybe like to use our language for today, even though people were having a hard time seeing God's kingdom, in fact, it looked like God's kingdom was being destroyed, God still speaks of hope. He speaks of the days when he would gather his people from all over the world, when he would place shepherds over them, or more, that he would place a shepherd over them. And he would be a good shepherd, a king who would rule with justice and righteousness. But the first thing he does say, he does get into it, he does say, Woe to these shepherds, to the people who are, to the kings who were ruling over Israel at the time. It says they've scattered the people by their lack of faith, by their idolatries, by their lust for more power. They were the ones who scattered God's people, or at least their decisions led to the scatter of God's people. It's interesting because God makes this, through speaking through Jeremiah, makes this play on words. He said in, in our text here, it says, you were supposed to bestow care on them. But because you did not, I will bestow punishment on you. In Hebrew, the word is actually the same word, just sort of flipped around. God's saying, you were supposed to care for these people. You're supposed to care for my people, the sheep. But you didn't. And so there is consequences. There are, there's responsibility and consequences because of that. But then he goes on to say, and if you look with me at verse 3, it says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. 
Now, when God's speaking here in this specific instance, the immediate horizon is bringing the people out of exile, bringing the people back from Babylon. And he does that. He does bring them back to the land. But I also see this broader horizon, too. See, they looked, the people waited for a Messiah. A Messiah who would come, who would restore Israel. Who would not only restore Israel, but also to regroup Israel. To bring people from all over back together. Those who had been spread out throughout the Mediterranean world, or actually throughout the whole world. But a Messiah would bring them back together. And I don't know about you, but I see this happening in Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah, or is the Messiah, that they had been waiting for. He is the Messiah who restored Israel in a way that they never expected, not necessarily militarily or politically, but faithfully following God. He also gathered together people. And you now I think about this, I think about uh, the story of Pentecost. As thousands of people from the Mediterranean world were gathered together, Jews who had gathered together for the festival. And they began to hear the gospel in their own language. And we see the, the ripples of that continuing on today as a church has grown around the world. In fact, even though the church is struggling, declining in North America, in places like China, in South America, in Africa, the church is growing at an enormous rate. We see God's people being gathered in from around the world. But he also says this. He also says, I will put a shepherd over them. Actually, he says shepherds. But listen, in verse 4 it says, I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Now in this passage, shepherd is a, a euphemism for king or leaders. And I want us to think about that for a minute, this connection between shepherd and king, to put the two together. And think about it. God calls David the shepherd of his people. David, the great king of Israel. He's a shepherd. Or think about what happens when you exchange king for shepherd in, in the Psalm 23. The Lord is my king. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'll listen to Micah, one of the prophets of the Old Testament. This is from Micah, chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. He said, And he will, raise, or sorry, and he will arise and shepherd his flock. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace, this one man. There's this connection with shepherd and king. I mean, it's subtle. And there's places where scripture talks about shepherds, and they just mean shepherds, the guys who herd the sheep. But there are also places where shepherd is used for king, for the one who will reign. Which brings us to Jesus. I was thinking about it as I've been reading through Matthew and hearing these echoes from the Old Testament. Hearing them reverberate, hearing them resonate throughout the Gospels. And I was thinking of Jesus at Galilee with 5,000 people gathered together and Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like people without a king. Now I know we hear shepherd and we think of, you know, oftentimes of Psalm 23 and it actually... This week, I've been realizing it differently. I think of Psalm 23 as the Lord is my shepherd, like the really nice, gentle leader who guides me. There's truth to that. But when I start hearing shepherd as king, too, it begins to add new elements to it. 
I start thinking of Jesus, especially where he says, he says, I am the good shepherd. Listen to, Matt, or to John chapter 10. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, let me just take shepherd and place king in it for you. I am the good king. The good king lays down his life for the people. The hired hand is not the king who owns the sheep. I'm sorry, who owns the people. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the people and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the people. I, this is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the good king. I know my people and my people know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the life of my people. I have other people that are not a part of this, of this people group. I must bring them also. They will also listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd or one king. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. It's interesting to hear we make that connection with shepherd and king. To hear Jesus talk about the good shepherd. Saying, I am this good shepherd. I am this good king. So God says that he will gather his people from around the world. But not only that, he will install or place a new king over them. A good king. And it says this in verse 5 to 6 on your sheet here. Sorry, I feel like we're bouncing around a lot this morning. It makes sense to me. Hopefully it's... Is it, is it okay? Is everyone still tracking with where we're going here generally? Okay. Even though you're having a hard time flipping through your Bibles. But. So Jeremiah 5, he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In the days Judah will be saved and Israel will, be live, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will, he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. So not only is God gathering the people through Jesus, not only is he making Jesus this shepherd, this good king over all of the world, but he's also telling us how this king will reign, what sort of king he will be. A God who reigns, or excuse me, a king who reigns in righteousness and justice. A God who will save us from our sin, but who also will establish a new order, a new kingdom, that does not run on greed and power, but runs on grace and righteousness and justice. And I'm grateful, as we, as a church, I'm grateful for us, as I listen to you, that you do care about compassion and mercy and justice. You know, there are some Christians who have made that split. There are some who said, for lack of a better word, we don't like kind of all the mysterious, superstitious stuff about Jesus and the cross and resurrection, so we're just going to focus on what he taught. And we're going to help people in the name of Jesus as a good teacher, but not necessarily as Lord and Savior, not as the one who's risen from the dead. And there's people who have done that, and they've helped people, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is more than just helping people. 
That's an important part of the gospel, but it's more than that, that Jesus is Lord and King, that he is the Son of God, that he came and lived and died and rose again, that he did miraculous things and healed people, that he walked on water and turned two loaves, or five loaves and two fishes into enough food to feed 5,000 people. God does amazing things. But then there are some who've responded to that group who said, we're going to kind of take the miraculous out and just talk about the good teachings, or some who've gone too far the other direction and said that the, the Bible is all about just Jesus and the cross and about salvation and how we get to heaven. Almost like they've reacted to the other group. And so then to talk about justice and compassion and mercy, I think, oh no, that's just a liberal project. That's just social gospel. I would like for us as a church, and I think we do this pretty well, but for us to just to talk about it for a minute, of making the distinction between the social gospel and social justice. I think there's real problems with the social gospel, for what it's called. And for those of you who aren't kind of hip on those terms, it's basically just saying what I described with Jesus. We talk less about the gospel or about the cross and resurrection than just about the good things that Jesus taught. That's the social gospel. But social justice... That's not just for some other group. Social justice is part of the gospel. Social justice is a kingdom idea. It's a gospel idea. Jesus came and he healed people. He fed people. He helped those who were poor, those who were marginalized and, and, and blocked out of society. He helped them. He came and he blessed the rich. He cared for them too. He said, you're going to have to leave all your stuff and follow me but he still cared about them. I just want us to make this connection that following Jesus, when he's Lord and Savior, we have to keep those two together, Lord and Savior. I think many evangelicals do great with the Savior part. We need to keep working, and and I think for us to, to keep understanding Jesus as Lord of our lives, the way we live matters. The way we treat people and bless them, the way we care for the weak matters. Susan read it this morning. She's reading, and, that, and they ask, you know, the king asks, you know, this is what I desire, that you love mercy and do justice. And they said, when have we done this? And they said, when you've cared for the least of these. This is part of the gospel. It's central for us. So I hear Jeremiah saying, let me bring us all back together, speaking hope, speaking God's hope for us. Even though he was in a time when Jerusalem was being, um, was being oppressed, when the, when the Babylonians were coming and basically destroying the whole place. He still spoke hope that one day God would regather his people. He would place a shepherd over them and the shepherd would rule with justice and righteousness. You with me? Yeah? (laughs) I felt like a thick one. (laughs) Okay, so here's the good part. Where does this matter in our lives, right? I mean, how does this matter in the way we live right now? Because we can hear Jeremiah, and I would encourage you to go back and read uh, chapter 23 of Jeremiah and listen how he's coping with desiring God's kingdom and actually seeing it being destroyed. But how does he handle it? This is the first thing that I learned from Jeremiah, is that he stays close to God. As you read through the prophet for the book of Jeremiah, you see him staying close to God. Sometimes he's really frustrated and discouraged, and yet he remains close to God. And I realize that's a temptation for us. We have a tendency when things are difficult, when we feel like we don't see a lot of God's kingdom, when it feels like things are going really wrong, is to distance ourselves from God. 
to step back from God. Because sometimes it can feel painful. And I'm encouraging you to do the opposite of that. When you look around and you're discouraged about the kingdom or lack of kingdom you see, take a step closer to Jesus. Don't step away. Take a step closer. Take a step closer by reading the Gospels, like we did this week, reading Matthew's Gospel. Trust me, you can't get enough of that. Read Matthew's Gospel over and over. Read Mark's Gospel over and over. John's Gospel. Luke's Gospel. Stay connected to the King. Watch him, the way that Jesus spoke to people, the things that he did, the ways he talked about the kingdom. Read the word of God. Read the Gospels. The other thing is this, is pray. I learned this from Jeremiah too. He prays a lot. Pray, Lord, I want to see more of your kingdom. Show me where your kingdom is breaking in. Show me how I can join in part of your kingdom. And the third is practice it. Do it. If you listen to Jeremiah, he did some pretty crazy stuff. Putting a belt in the rocks as a symbol to the people. Listen to what God is telling you to do. And then do it. We'll get some more into that in a moment. But Draw closer to God. When we're frustrated, when we're discouraged, when we look around and it doesn't look like there's much kingdom at all, move closer to Jesus. The other thing I have or that I was realizing as I was working through this week, so first is stay close to God. The second is stay ready. This is from the Gospel of Matthew 2. It speaks of, this is from Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about what it will look like at the end days. He said, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come and come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and retrimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, and this is the key part, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. We stay close to God and we stay ready. We stay ready for God's, for Jesus, for his return, for the great king to return again. And when Jesus says stay ready, I don't think he's saying build an underground bunker and start stockpiling ammunition. I don't think that's what he means. Actually, I'm pretty certain. I know there's this show on cable right now, Preppers. Anybody seen that? I've watched it once. It's about people who, that's what they're doing. I don't know if they're necessarily religious or not, but there's these huge stores you know, like 20-some years of canned food. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I'm not sure I'd want to live that way. <laughs> so I don't hear Jesus saying, start prepping. Start storing food and ammunition in a bunker. <laughs> but I do hear him say, be faithful. Be ready. There's this, there's this connection between faithfulness and readiness. 
I mean, how many times have you heard parables of Jesus when he talks about the good king? The good king, they go like this. Basically, the good king goes away and he leaves his people in charge. And those who do well, like the parable of the talents, the one who took the five and turned it into ten, bless you, well done, my good and faithful servant. The one who took the one talent and hid it away, did nothing with it, said, you wicked servant. And he took what he had and gave it to the others. Or what about the stories about the, the good tenants when he, or the good um, steward who looked over all of his people. The king went away, and that, master thought, or that, that servant thought, well, the master's going to be a long time in coming, so he just started beating the other slaves, treating them badly. When the king did come back, that, that head um, leader, it wasn't good for him. <laughs> it was bad. When Jesus talks about being ready, he talks about being faithful, about continuing to do his work, about cultivating his kingdom. And that's interesting. I've been, since we've had the garden, I've heard a few people talking about this community being rocky ground. And we've got seeds and soil to cultivate here. This is a mission field, and it's a rocky one at that. But we've been called here. We've been put here. You have been put here as missionaries here to this community. Some of you go to other places. Some of you are missionaries in other places. Bless you in that. But you live here. This is also our mission field. So I hear Jesus saying, stay ready. Stay faithful. Keep following him. The third thing I hear, and I think this is important for us when we are frustrated with how little the kingdom we see is cherish the tiny things. Cherish the small beginnings. Jesus told another parable. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the tiniest of seeds. Yet when it's planted in the ground, it grows to become the largest of the garden plants. So large that even the birds in the air can put in their, or make their nest in it. The point of that parable is that the kingdom starts small. And sometimes we always see is the small stuff in our life. We see the tiny little things. And, and I know that sometimes we want to see the big but the kingdom of God starts often small. Sometimes we're just too busy. We're too busy to spend time to acknowledge or to notice the small things that God is doing in our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, in our community. I'm saying this because we can look and say, you know, where's the kingdom? But then when I start doing that and I start looking around, I say, oh, there it is. And there it is in that person's life. And there it is in this part of our community. It's small, but God is growing it. God is doing these experiments. And I don't know, I keep trying to think of a better word for experiment. Experiment has sort of the wrong ring to it. But it gets at what, what I think God is doing. These tiny little things where he tries it this way. And that connects good. I'll keep doing that. Try it this way. And, oh, that doesn't connect with them. Let's try this. So that opens it up for us to do some experimenting too with the kingdom or for the sake of the kingdom. So I think sometimes we think, oh, I, I would never do that. I've got this great idea for a ministry or for a way to, to bless my neighbor or to bless this group of my community. Then we start thinking, well, okay, but then I need to get a committee together and then I need to wait for the church to make it a program. Never mind. I, I hear God's Spirit saying, just try it. Try the experiment. If you hear God's Spirit moving it in you, try it. 
And you're thinking, like, I, I need to start something where I, I help this particular group of my community, maybe seniors, for example. But rather than waiting for the church to make it an official program, just start. Start blessing people. Try these experiments. You'll be, seeing, you'll be amazed at how you see God's kingdom beginning to grow. The parts where you thought, oh, that's so small, but you start to see, like, oh, I see how it's small, but I see the way God is growing it. So I hear three things for us. First, I hear from Jeremiah, stay close to God. Then I hear from Jesus, stay faithful and ready. And I also hear from Jesus, cherish the small things, the small beginnings. So how do we work this out? Okay, you know, where do we begin this week? How can I go home and begin today? So I want you to do one thing. So I want you to do one thing. I'm already assuming that you are staying close to Jesus. Can I just assume that? Like last week we talked about reading Matthew's Gospel. Hopefully you'll keep reading. Maybe start on Mark's this week or John. Stay close to Jesus. But I want you to do one thing this week. Experiment. Cherish the tiny beginnings and try an experiment for the kingdom of God. Something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. A trust that he's been speaking to you. Something, some way of serving or blessing in our community. Or someone, your neighbor. Do that one thing this week. You know, you don't have to have it all planned out. And I'm not saying do something totally brand new. I'm saying maybe for some of you, you're already doing some great things. But maybe there's one part of it that God is asking you to try this with this ministry you're already involved in. Or maybe it is something brand new. I'm encouraging you. I'm asking you one thing. Go do one experiment this week for the sake of the kingdom. Imagine what this could look like in us or continue to look like. Imagine how all of this, imagine, look at this whole room, everyone in this room. Look at everyone in this room as a fellow missionary in this community. Imagine the little experiments that God would be starting with each of you this week. That's encouraging to me. That's a lot of little kingdom experiments. Ways to bless people, to grow God's kingdom, to join in God's kingdom. And who knows, I I have no doubt that some of these would start to overlap. Some of the things that maybe you're doing will connect with what someone else is doing. We start to see God's kingdom grow. You know, and maybe maybe there's certain things that you try and they don't really go well. You know, we're still learning, though. It's still good. It's still faithfulness even in doing it. Even if it doesn't go great. Even if you had this dream that your experiment was going to turn into uh, thousands of people um, following Jesus. Maybe it doesn't turn into that. Maybe it does. That's even better. But I want to encourage you, there's faithfulness just in doing it. So we started this morning with this question about God's kingdom. You know, we're, as we're going to be talking about God's kingdom, what do we do when we feel discouraged that we don't see more of it? And so we heard from Jeremiah, we heard from God saying, speaking hope to us, that he is gathering his people that he has put a shepherd over us and a shepherd who is going to rule and reign in righteousness and justice. And we started talking about, okay, so what does this mean for us? We talked about staying close to God, staying close to Jesus. We talked about staying ready, staying faithful. And we talked about cherishing the small things and trying an experiment this week. So I'm interested to hear from you. As you've heard this morning, I mean, certain parts of the kingdom or, or how do we endure it. I'm curious to hear from you. What do you do when you 
talk about the kingdom or think of the kingdom, and yet you're frustrated or discouraged by how little you see. 